Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Brightest Star in Paris by Diana Biller. This was published in 2021 and is the sequel to The Widow of Rose House. It, I feel like it should be the second in a series, but there has been no series announced, even though this is very obviously the sequel to The Widow of Rose House. Correct. It is. And it also follows a very blatant romance convention mm-hmm. in that the first book was about the oldest brother. This book is about the second brother. And the unmarried more sibling is a younger sister. Do you think... So she has announced a new book. The new book is not about the Moore family. Do you think that she will write a third book? And if you do, do you think that Henry, the adopted Moore sibling, will marry Maggie, the actual sibling? Because I think that he will. I think that is a good guess at a pairing. I wouldn't write off them happening as a background feature. Mm-hmm. In a book about someone else. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, um, we did like the the Widow of Rose House, even though Lane read the wrong one. And then I read the right one. Then we read the right one. Um, we did enjoy it a lot, actually. The romance was tip top. The ghost story was a little like feels a little weird. Um. I will say this book follows the same convention. There is a ghost story, which is why we're reviewing it in October for spooky season. I think that the ghost story is a little better incorporated in this book. I agree with that. Okay. All right. Let's read the book jacket and then let's have a discussion. Okay. Amelie St. James, prima ballerina of the Paris Opera Ballet and the People's Saint, has spent seven years pretending. In the devastating aftermath of the Siege of Paris, she made a decision to protect her sister. She became the bland, sweet, pious Saint-Amie the ballet needed to restore its scandalous reputation. But when her first love reappears and the ghosts of her past come back to haunt her, all her hard-fought safety is threatened. Dr. Benedict Moore has never forgotten the girl who helped him embrace life again after he almost lost his. Now, he's back in Paris after 12 years for a conference. His goals are to recruit promising new scientists and, maybe, to see Amelie again. When he discovers she's in trouble, he's desperate to help her. After all, he owes her. When she finally agrees to let him help, they disguise their time together with a fake courtship. But reigniting old feelings is dangerous, especially when their lives are an ocean apart. Will they be able to make it out with their hearts intact? No. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Will they? Will they? Will they? Probably not. So this Jacket has some issues. Mm-hmm. It does. I think the biggest one is that this is a book about ghosts and Amelie is being actively haunted. <laughs> yes. When it says the ghosts case. when it says the ghosts of her past come back to haunt her, they are literal ghosts who are literally haunting her. Correct. 
This is not like not a metaphor. And you may recall from the first book, Dr. Benedict Moore's older brother is into ghosts, to say the least. He, <laughs> he wants to be buddies with them all. Yeah. And he wants to get scientific proof that they exist. Oh, he's, yeah. oh my God. This family, the Moore family, lane, they're just like a family of cinnamon rolls. They were all baked in this like little sweet. I just love them all. Ah, I'm getting way too much into this, into the, into the quality of discussion because that has nothing to do with this book jacket, but I don't know what to tell you. Like, I love the Moore family. Yeah. So what this book has going for it that the first one didn't is I have absolutely no interest in Civil War America Mm -hmm. and post-Civil War America. If there is an era in history that bores the shit out of me personally, this is not about the books. It is that. So the fact that this book went, eh, instead of 1870s America, we're going to go with 1870s France, mm. popped up the interest factor so much. Yep. Totally agree. I totally agree. Very smart choice. Uh, yes. this Inherently, this setting appealed to me much more. And I, I think she did a really good job with it. I was really impressed, actually. So my favorite thing about this book... And we're getting ahead because we haven't done our random number summaries yet. But I think I've talked several times on the podcast about how this time of year I get, like, very into ambiance. Mm-hmm. And I'm not into spooky season. I'm not, like, a big Halloween person. But, like, the chill of the night air and the crisp fall leaves, like, the, I get very into, like, aesthetics and, like, the feeling of a book. And this book, beyond being a ghost story, really leans into fall. There's a lot mm-hmm. of borrowing each other's jackets and borrowing scarves and leaving scents on each other's coats and like yeah. those sorts of things like work for me in a text specifically this time of year. Yeah. And a surprise snowfall that doesn't exactly. last too long. Like it's, you know, they're out in their cashmere. Oh my God. There are cashmere coats. <gasps> Just like brushing the snow off with his cashmere coat. I was like, oh my God, please. Just tell well, me. And I know. Everyone's a fucking sucker for Paris in the spring. I love Paris in the fall. Anyway, I'm, so I was everything about the setting of this book works for me. I was so into it. I was so interested with the time period that she said it about how she makes Paris feel like a dynamic, young, growing city. Yes, like there's a line in the city where they talk about a Parisian is like, oh, we don't, we don't. We don't dwell on the past. We are looking towards the future. And I just think it's fascinating to compare with how we feel about Paris these days, right? Yes. Anyway, we've skipped our random number summary. Well, not skipped. We, we can go back to it now. Okay. Uh, so as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50. And then we wrote random number summaries based on the number we generated. And the number we generated for this episode was nine so lane what did you what nine words did you choose to summarize this book a ghost from the past can manifest literal ghosts dun 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 <laughs> yes <laughs> here here's my nine word summary amelie ghosted ben once now the tables have turned <laughs> We both leaned a lot more heavily into the ghosts, which in fairness, so did the book. Yes, it did. Tropes. 
The second chance romance. I think that's the big trope. For sure. Um, this is a fake relationship. Mm-hmm. Though that is a little less leaned into than I think we expect in most traditional romances. And it is a bit of a fake relationship bargain. Yes, it is. He'll help her figure out the ghosts and she'll help him meet the guy he came to Paris to meet. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I, I would have liked a little more of the fake relationship, except we'll talk about it. I will talk more about it, about why it didn't feel like fake dating. Because it wasn't fake dating. They were, like, real dating. Correct. Okay. Um, there's a little bit of a trope where, like, she's already in love with him, but then she gets more in love with him because he'll be such a good dad. Yeah, I ignored that part. <laughs> and then the final trope that I recognize is the you-don't-own-me you trope. Right? right. And... I I understand it because, like, yes, if you married someone in this era, then that, as a woman, if you married a man in this era, he literally owned everything about you, right? Like, you were basically his property. So I, I get it. I get it, and also I don't get it, because you have to live, you know? <laughs> I fall firmly into I don't get it. Yeah. And Megan, I've talked about this on the podcast several times in the past. Like, sometimes you just be like, girl, marry him. I don't even care if you're in love with him. I don't care if you're ready. I don't care what you have to give up. Your life right now is so unstable. You are threatened on so many fronts. Having him as an ally in your corner, as a husband, as someone looking out for you, is worth so much more. Add that to the fact that they've been in love for, like, 12 fucking years. I got to the point where I found her, like, foot-dragging about they can't be together. So obnoxious. Yeah. I think it could have been interesting if they did get married, but the conflict, the underlying conflict was still there. Sure. So, like, I, I don't disagree with how she felt about how she, if she marries him, she basically would be admitting defeat right letting no, him sure, save her right oh let him save you your life is a fucking mess right but like have that as the underlying conflict you know like a psychological right. conflict i think could have worked really well but she went more literal, literal with the, conflict it yeah. didn't work eh, i mean i thought it was okay for me. it didn't it didn't work for me okay <laughs> it didn't bother me the way it bothered you i think Honestly, I think my biggest beef overall with this book is, like, the potential in the beginning aimed so high that I was, like, falling in love with it. And then where it fell short broke my heart. Yeah. So let's talk about the the, the potential, which I think I agree with you. It was really cool. They had met before when they were both very young. I mean, he was, yes. like, they were both, 19. like, 1920, right? Yep. And... They only had shared one kiss. Like, I actually believed it, though. Like, I believed that right. they were in love. Absolutely. It, it was this, like, chaste love, but that it was deep and abiding. Like, I believed it. That was incredible. I even believed, because you have flashbacks, I even believed why she gave him up. Yep. Right? Like, I believed it all. I, and I am not a second chance romance person. 
but I liked it. And then I really liked that it felt like a low angst second chance romance. So much of second chance romance is about like, I hate you, but you know, you have to figure out like what actually what they did, even though it was horrible, was understandable because blah, blah, blah. But the reason that they broke up made so much sense to me. And then when he comes back and sees her again, it doesn't feel like he's not intruding on her space. Um, she's not upset to see him again. She's surprised and like sad. Um, but they almost immediately fall back into this like friendship at least. Yeah. There wasn't a betrayal. Yes. In a very concrete way that had to be overcome. They were both very willing to at first like see each other fondly and then embrace friendship pretty readily. Mm-hmm. So I think that element, you're right, the phrasing of low angst absolutely works. Yeah. They were very, like, I mean, she's seeing ghosts. She's got a lot going on. I get it. But I ultimately felt like her life was so angsty. It mm-hmm. took some of the joy out of the low angst romance for me. Yeah. The romance was low angst. I, th- I really do think the romance yes. itself, like them falling in love. Low angst. Was the low angst. book was very angsty. Mm-hmm. between like, her mother's lover hitting on her and her situation with her sister and the degree to which she'd been self-sacrificing. I think this is a high angst book with a low angst romance, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, to go along with that, like they both tell each other that they love each other, like before the halfway mark. Before they really do more than kiss and cry. I mean, like they say, I love you. And then they kiss. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know. I just, I believed it for these characters. I believed it for the romance. And it felt original or unique for a romance. Cause I feel like in most romances, you save that I love you. That's the real resolution of the conflict, right? Right. And so, I mean, I'm not saying... <laughs> I'm not saying it it works or it doesn't work, but I thought it was an interesting choice to have it come much earlier in the text than we're used to. Right. Yeah. We already talked about the setting. Incredible. No notes. So good. No notes. I mean, take me back to like full, like pre-Baron Hauserman in Paris any day of the week. Yep. It was really cool. And then one of the things I thought she did super well was weaving in the ballet that Amelie is performing in. So she's performing in the ballet Giselle, which whether you've seen it or whether you're not, I think she does a very good job of explaining the plot so that you're not lost. But if you do know the ballet, I think it really helps as well because you can picture it in your mind. You know what she's talking about. You know how it works. I think she does a good job for people who know it and who people for people who don't know it. And I think it works thematically really well, too, because Gisela has a whole ghost scene in it. Like, there's a whole thing about ghosts that come back and seek vengeance. Right. So, A+, plus, really good job with the belly references, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I got a little bit high-handed at the very end, but I'll forgive it for thematic resonance. Yes. I I will say at the end, like I actually looked up when modern dance 
started to be created because obviously Amelie is like the the mother of modern dance apparently yeah I thought it was interesting because there's been another book in this it wasn't the series but another book we reviewed that like touched on ballet mm-hmm. and it was specifically a dancer who did not have what you would conceive of as a ballet body mm-hmm. but that was historically accurate yes and I thought it was interesting that Arnelie clearly had the life figure we associate with modern ballerinas in a time pre that build being popular in ballet. Yes, she was. She does say that she's tall, though, which I thought was interesting because that's not. She's tall for an 1870s French woman. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's true. Good point. I'm going to add that caveat. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was I thought it was really interesting. I, I I honestly did look up modern dance and it apparently the beginnings of modern dance are like in the eighteen eighties. So she's just slightly anachronistic. But you know, it it honestly didn't even bother me. It did not bother me. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. That was good. Um, okay, I also loved the character of Rachel. Or uh, Rachel, however you want to say it. I thought she was such a cool character. Loved her. I agree. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but Rachel is a ghost. Yeah. And just basically, I mean, I don't want to say the opposite of Amelie, but she's she's a foil for Amelie. And I think really an interesting Foil. Well, they're opposites in that Rachel is dead and Amelie is alive. I mean, there are opposites in a lot of ways, but that's the big one. That's not significant in a lot of ways. And then I have to say, I already said it, but I just love this. Like, she's created, Diana Biller has created a family that is like the perfect family. It's honestly like the family and little women right? The March family and Little Women. You read about certain families in literature that you're like, oh my God, what a wonderful family. Uh Like, I don't think there are ever any families that are that perfect, but I do really like reading about them. It's weird because I get that they had dual POVs in this book, Mm -hmm. but I did feel like even when she wasn't present to a degree, you're getting the more family from Amelie's perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, compared to what Amelie has been through in her life, the more family is perfect. Mm, that's, I mean, that's a good point. That's actually a really good point. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Anything else you loved or thought was good? I, I'm, like, kind of really into Ben. Oh, my God. As a hero. I think we haven't given him enough individual praise. Oh my god, I can't, I can't even with the Moore family. And like Sam, I loved Sam in yep. War of Rose House. And I fucking love Ben too. He's amazing. And I like I loved like Amelie as a character. Mm-hmm. This, this but uh, like obviously I'm just extremely into Ben. So like good job there. Creating a hero that I am lusting after. Yeah. He's like he's respectful, but like really hot. Um, the jacked doctor. <laughs> yes, the jacked hyster- doctor. <laughs> who thinks that hysteria is bullshit? Like, thank you, Doctor Benjamin Moore. 
He's good with his hands. He's a surgeon. He's a literal brain surgeon, guys. Oh. Yeah. I do love him. I will say, and I also want to just praise by comparison. We just talked about when we read Widow of Rose House that I do not like scary. Mm-hmm. And Widow of Rose House really like pushed my border of how much horror I want, especially in a romance novel. This didn't really veer into horror at all. Mm-mm. There's one scene that's a little... It's not a horror, but there is right. one thing that, that there are like these ghosts. It, it would be scary if you saw it on a TV screen. I agree, but it wasn't... I don't know. Like, as someone who does not like horror, even in my literature, it was much more about the psychological trauma she was going through without the ghosts, with, like, the ghosts as a manifestation of her otherwise, like, psychological issues. Like, the ghosts weren't jump-scaring. The ghosts weren't, like, haunting her. The ghosts weren't, like, she wasn't fearful that the ghosts were going to come. Yeah. I mean, for me, honestly, the difficult part of that scene was that she she's injured. Um, yes. And that, for me personally, that's really tough for me to read for some reason. So. But I'm just saying, if you're like, I don't do horror because I don't do horror. The first book skirted an edge for me that this one didn't approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. One thing I didn't love was the villain in the book. He was very villainous and he started out villainous and he made, he like kept being there and he would like send flowers and like, even if he wasn't on the page, he would still be like villainous in the background. Yeah. I did think that she dropped the thread at the very end. I really wanted to see him get his, his own like personal comeuppance. Yes. And he didn't. So I was a little disappointed in that. I'll just say that. Yeah, he gets away with too much by virtue of not being fucking miserable. Yeah. Anything else you want to say before we move on to content warnings? Well, that wouldn't be a spoiler, so let's just keep going. Okay. Um, so there's some references to sex work. Her mother was a painter, but also supported herself by being a mistress to wealthy men. Um, and then Amelie actually says to Ben that like, like after the siege of Paris, she was like, I sold everything that I could. I sold lace. I sold paintings. I sold this. She's like, I sold my body. Like I did anything I could to survive. Yeah. So Amelie herself also has engaged in sex work and the way Ben was just like, yeah, you know, like, I'm just glad you're alive to be here with me. And it wasn't like a source of angst at all. Loved it. sex work was approached very practically and not morally here which i think works much better for both you and i Mm -hmm. yeah and and yeah i I appreciated that that said her mother did die of syphilis and the whole like end of her life is not glossed over no it was very sad Mm-hmm. And then just a lot of like privileged men doing gross stuff. Yep. So I don't think there's anything like in particular triggering about it. You know, I don't know. 
One of the things, and this is like maybe veering a little away from content warnings that always struck mm-hmm. me about like the impressionist ballerinas. And this book does veer specifically into the intersection of painterly art and ballet is that there was an element of inherent sadness, but also impersonality or replicability inherent Mm -hmm. to a lot of those ballerinas, a lot of dull colors, a lot of ambiguous faces, a lot of practical and clearly like angsty moments. And I think this book is almost like that level of like Degas come to life. Yeah. There is a melancholy to this book that I felt like worked really well with the theme. Mm -hmm. But that like, and that's why I say, like, the romance might not be angsty, but the book is. Yeah. So it's not so much a content warning, like, but be prepared. Like, this is a book to read in the rain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, I know exactly what you're trying to say. I just think that is really funny that that's how you described it. But it describes it perfectly. Thank you. Okay. Which does kind of move us into sexiness, right? This is not a one-handed read. It was not as sexy as I wanted it to be. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a lot sexier. Widow of Rose House was... Sexier than this. Sexier than this. That said, I I do really appreciate that she at least included an explicit sex scene. Yeah. Because I feel like... I almost feel like this could have been, like, women's fiction... And she was like, no, I really do want this to be a romance. And she included an explicit sex scene. Yeah, I think there's a lot of emotional closeness between these two characters before page one. Mm -hmm. Like, second chance romance means there's a lot of history. And I think for me personally, in the same way that marriage of convenience can often lead to, like, an earlier emotional and physical intimacy. I think second chance romance has that potential as well. So I am personally always a little bit let down when that is not taken advantage of. But, like, it was authentic to these characters. I get why it wasn't put on the page sooner. But I did feel like there was too much keeping their hands off of each other for it to be my platonic ideal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't don't disagree with you. I just... I feel like she could have gone lower steam, like zero steam, basically, a few kisses, and been okay with it. And I think it probably would have sold just as well. And I really appreciate that it it wasn't, honestly. It's no, a true I agree with you. I'm saying I would have, there's at least one moment I can think of where I wanted a little more heat. I mean, yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I also don't disagree with you. I'm just saying, just saying. Like, props for putting in what you did. I yeah. wouldn't be mad if there had been no more. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Anything else you want to say? Any speculations? I mean, you got to give me a little bit more. more. I need, I need Maggie. I know. I do really love this family. I want Maggie. I want Henry. Even if they don't end up together, because I would be fine with them not being together and they had their, each of them had their own books. I would be totally fine with it. But, you know, definitely love Diana Miller. Definitely happy to continue reading her work. 
she writes the type of cinnamon little hero I'm real into. You. No complaints. Check this one out. Yeah, we will be reading more Diana Biller for sure. Thank you for so much for listening. Rate, review, and subscribe if you want to get more content from us. And we will talk to you next time.